Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. So glad you're here. If you will, get your worship guide out, flip that over to the other side, and uh, be some notes to follow along with me as we continue in the message series that we're in called Victory and Chaos. We're going through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this early church in the city of Corinth. Now, Paul had spent 18 months there in Corinth, and he was seeing people come to uh, faith in Jesus Christ. But in Paul's absence, there was a, a the church had fallen into serious problems, problems of disunity. There was sexual immorality. There was confusion. And so uh, Paul receives this letter from some of the people in the church. Uh, and it was a very disturbing letter. It was letting him know what all was going on in the church. And so the book of 1 Corinthians is Paul's response back to the church from that letter that he received. And the, the book of 1 Corinthians talks about unity among believers. It talks about spiritual freedom, holy living, proper worship. All of those re- all of those things are a reason why it's important for us to study this book today. Well, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and Paul is addressing church leaders here in this passage, but he's also addressing all of us to be servants and how we should act as servant leaders in the church. Public opinion meant a lot to the Corinthians, probably a whole lot more than it actually should have. As a matter of fact, if Facebook and Instagram had been around in the first century, uh, there'd have been a lot of fussing and fighting and tagging people and, and subtweeting and all of that going on. Because here's what was going on. You had these, these church members that picked different leaders that they like. I, I like Peter. Well, I like Paul. Well, I like Apollos and he's my favorite. And, and they were pitting each one of those against each other. And so uh, certain ones would say they like different ones. And, and if they'd have kind of had, you know, social media back then, they would have argued over which one of those preachers, you know, sermon quotes got the most likes on Monday morning. I mean, it, that was the kind of the stuff that was going on and they were pitting each other against each other. I kind of thought, you know, it, it would have been kind of funny. This has been kind of stuff that would have been going on if social media would have been around back then. People would have said this about Paul. You know, Paul never posts, he never tweets anything uplifting. I mean, everything that Paul posts is from prison and it just, man, it just puts a downer on everything whenever you scroll through Paul's Facebook posts. That's what they would have said about him. And they would have said this about Apollos. You know, Apollos, all he ever does is post pictures of him and Aquila and Priscilla. I mean, he's always eating at their house. He's hanging out with them. Does he not even know that the rest of us exist? He's always hanging out with them. 
And Peter, well, Peter, he's just too impulsive. He, he needs to think before he presses sin because he's just posting too much and he doesn't think about what he posts before he presses sin. And, and that was kind of what was going on. They, they picked who they liked the most and they were pitting them against each other. I want you to think about this for a moment. In just a few short decades, we have gone from reading about celebrities and about royals in tabloid magazines on the shelves at the grocery store to today actually becoming the story ourselves that other people like and other people watch and other people read on the internet. When I was a kid, I remember standing in the grocery store line with my mom and we'd be standing there and there'd be all these tabloid magazines that were there in the grocery store aisle and you're kind of watching them, you know. And you could see the headlines of, you know, which celebrities wanted to have a baby, which ones were breaking up, uh, which ones were secretly aliens in disguise, which one, which celebrity was actually the Antichrist, you know. That, that was the kind of stuff that you'd see on these, these tabloid magazines. But now we, you and I, we control the narrative. We're con- so concerned about public opinion that you and I, we post and we tag and we tweet all for the likes of other people. And we judge ourselves based on how many of those likes and how many of those checks that we get from other people. You know what's even crazy? We are concerned about what other people think about other people. Now that's crazy. We'll watch TV shows like Inside Edition and Entertainment Tonight and we want to know what Prince Harry thinks about Prince William and the book that was written and, and you know, who's, who's the most recent person to be offended? What group of people have been offended the most? And should I be offended that they're offended? I mean, that's, that's kind of the world that we live in now. But in 1 Corinthians chapter four, we see that this kind of, this, this idea of being so concerned about what everybody else thinks It bleeds over into our personal lives and sometimes it bleeds over into our churches. So in 1 Corinthians chapter four, Paul kind of takes a time out and he says, you know what? The, The most important thing that you should be concerned about is not what other people think and say about you. You see, in Paul's absence, the people had become incredibly arrogant and he takes this portion of this letter to kind of set the record straight. And he tells us four things that should be true in the lives of Christ followers. And that's what I want us to see this morning. So Paul kind of kicks off this chapter and he makes it clear. He says about himself and about Apollos and about Peter. He says, each one of us are servants of Christ. He kicks off the whole chapter by making it super abundantly clear to this church. We're just servants of Christ. Look what he says in verse number one. He said, so look at Apollos and look at me as mere servants of Christ who have been put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. The most important thing for you and for me to know and to understand going into this passage of scripture is this. Jesus is the master. He's the master. And yes, Paul is, is talking specifically to and addressing church leaders here. But listen, at church, I'm not in charge. And you're not in charge. 
Jesus is the master. He's the one that is calling the shots. And so Paul is setting them up here and saying, because he is the master, we serve him. And it's his opinion and only his opinion that matters. Now, some of the people in the the Corinthian church, they had kind of set Paul up as kind of this rock star status. And they're pitting him against Apollos and Peter. Paul says this, you guys need to stop all of this nonsense. I'm just a servant. As a matter of fact, in the previous chapter that we studied in chapter three, verse number five, Paul says, Apollos is a servant, Peter's a servant. In fact, we're all just here to serve you. Would you listen closely to me for a moment, just a minute this morning? I think it's one thing to stand and say, Jesus is the master. But I think it's an entirely different thing to proudly carry the title, as Paul did, of servant. It's one thing to stand up and say, Jesus is the master. It's a whole nother thing to proudly carry the title and say, I am his servant. Because nobody naturally wants to carry the title of being a servant. We all want to be the boss. We all want to be in charge. Nobody wants to be told what to do. As a matter of fact, what's one of the very first words that most children learn when they're learning to talk? No. No. Now, what are they saying? You can't tell me what to do. I'm my own boss. I don't want you to be the boss. No, and children learn that. I I remember, I've got a sister that's four years younger than I am. And I remember when she would say to me, hey, you gotta do this or you gotta do that, I would say, you're not the boss. You can't tell me what to do. What was I saying? I don't want you to be in charge. I want to be in charge. Right after Sharon and I got married, I uh, went and spent a day with her dad baling hay on their farm. I had never done anything like this in my life. So it was all a big shock to me. I had never done this kind of work. And I'm telling you, it absolutely wore me out. And I, by, by noon, by lunchtime, I was completely soaked through my clothes, through my shirt, through my, through my pants, through everything. I was completely soaked with sweat. So we take a break and I go over to where everybody was kind of hanging out and I take my shirt off. And my father-in-law says to me, you probably don't want to take your shirt off. Now, you know what I thought in my brain? I'm 21 years old. I know everything that there is to know about everything. What do you mean telling me I shouldn't take my shirt off? I'll take my shirt. Just because I married your daughter, you can't tell me what to do. I'll take my shirt off. I want to take my shirt off. And I kept my shirt off. And for the rest of the day, I bailed hay with no shirt on. And the next morning... I was sunburned, I was blistered, and I had little blisters all up and down my side and my stomach from where the hay would rub up and down against me every time I would pick up a bale of hay. All because I didn't want anybody telling me what to do. I didn't want anybody to be my boss. It goes against our natural tendency to proudly carry the title of servant of Christ. Again and again and again, Paul wants everybody that he interacted with to know that he labeled himself as a servant, as a slave of Jesus Christ. That's how he introduces himself in the book of Romans. That's how he introduces himself in the book of Philippians. And over and over and over again in the 13 books that he wrote, he introduces himself as a slave of Christ, a servant of Christ. 
He says it here in verse number one. You're to see me here as a servant of Christ. That's it. Paul wanted them to understand that that the very nature, listen, the very nature of our relationship with God is he's the master and we're the servant. So you can't say, if you're gonna stand up and say, Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my master, then you've got to also, on the other hand, to say, I am his servant. Now I can stand up here and talk about that all day long today, but I don't have time, so I gotta move on. But let me tell you some, some, say, some observations, some things that it means to be a servant of Christ. If I'm a servant of Christ, it means that he has exclusive ownership of me. If he's the master and I am the servant, then he has exclusive ownership of me. As a Christ follower, he has exclusive rights to my life and to your life. You don't get to make the calls anymore. You don't get to make the decisions anymore. He is in charge. Have you ever seen a... Uh, a company logo, maybe Coca-Cola, McDonald's, something that, that, that's real familiar. And you'll notice around the company logo, there are the little uh, letters TM, maybe up in the right-hand corner somewhere. You know what that stands for? It's a trademark. And it means nobody else except for that company can use that logo. They have exclusive ownership of that. And if you're a follower of Jesus and he is the master and you're the servant, he has exclusive ownership of your life. Colossians chapter one, verse 16 says that everything was created through him and for him. He created you. First Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 tells us that we don't belong to ourselves. We were bought with a price. So being a servant of Christ means that he has exclusive ownership. Here's the second thing. Being a servant of Christ means complete surrender, complete submission, excuse me, complete submission, complete submission. Now we, we push back at this, don't we? completely submit to God, whatever he wants, whatever he tells me. Yes, that's what being a servant means. Now, this is not a, a one-time deal. Okay, I, I decide from here on out, I'm gonna completely surrender. No, this is a daily thing. As a matter of fact, for most of us like myself, this is sometimes an hourly thing. Am I going to give in to what I want or am I gonna give in to the will of Christ? We gotta answer it every day. Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, nobody can serve Two masters. Can I, can, I, can I lovingly tell you this morning, this is the reason why so many followers of Jesus can't seem to find any peace. They can't seem to find any peace because they won't, they're not willing to surrender. They're not willing to completely submit. And we, we, we try to live this dual life. You know, I've got my work friends over here and I act this way around my work friends. And I got my family over here and I act completely different around my family. And, and, and I've got these, these other people around over here, my church friends, and I act this way around my church friends. And I just hope that my church friends and my family friends and my work friends never interact with each other. And it's exhausting. And we, we, we live with no peace because we're not willing to submit. Being a servant means exclusive ownership, complete submission. It also means total dependence. Total dependence. That's where I stopped trying to be self-reliant. And I trust that he knows best and he's gonna take care of my needs. Jesus put it this way in one of his teachings in Matthew 6, He said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he'll give you everything that you need. That is total dependence. 
So in verse number one, Paul makes it very, very clear that he and Apollos and Peter and us were servants of Christ. Now, what does it say in verses two through eight? Let's look at those verses. He says that we're to be good stewards of what we've been given. Not only are we to be a servant of Christ, but we're to be good stewards of what we've been given. Look at verse number two. He said, now a person who's put in charge as a manager must be faithful. Look at verse number seven. What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? So not only am I a servant, but I'm also a steward. Paul says here, we as stewards have been entrusted with the mysteries of God. And he said, those that have been entrusted with the mysteries of God must be found faithful. Now the word entrust or the word trust here in the Greek is the idea of a steward or stewardship. And they completely, the the readers at this time completely understood what he was talking about. It was very normal or very natural for a person to put a steward or someone in, in charge of their land or their home and they would oversee things for the master. And we've been entrusted by God with the authority and the responsibility of the mysteries of God. Now, what are the mysteries of God? The mysteries of God are the gospel of Jesus Christ, his cross and his resurrection. And we've been given the responsibility of the mysteries of God to be, as Paul says, to be faithful. Now, I want you to notice here, Paul does not say that a steward must be successful. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say a good steward must be successful. No, he says a good steward must be found faithful. Now, how do I know if you're being faithful? How do you know if I'm being faithful? How do I know that? Do I I know all the circumstances in your life? Do I know your heart? I, I don't. And so Paul even makes it clear here in this passage. He says, don't judge each other here because God is the one that will judge. Now, everything that you have, And everything that I have has been given to me and been given to you to use for God's glory. We're stewards. This church building that we're sitting in right now, it belongs to God. Everything in it, it belongs to God. All of us collectively, we belong to God. The the land that this building sits on, it belongs to God. The money in the bank that uh, belongs to the church, it's God's. The building that we're getting ready to build in Appison belongs to God. Uh, your stuff. Oh, wait, wait a second. I'm, I'm all with you now, Randy, on the church and the church building and the church money and all that, but not my stuff. That's mine. I, I, I build a fence around it to protect it because it's my stuff. It's God's. The money in your bank account, it's God's. Everything that you have, it is God's. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7. It says, after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world and we'll take, take, we can't take anything with us when we leave it. I've asked you this question before, but it bears repeating. When you came into the world, when you were born, what wealth did you bring with you? Just, just go ahead and shake your head because the answer is none. You, you didn't bring anything with you. I've been a pastor for 31 years and I I can't tell you how many times I have been to the hospital to visit a family after they've had a new baby. It's always such a sweet time. It's such a precious time. Uh, but, But I have never one time in all of those years gone to a hospital to visit a family and a dad pull me out in the hallway and say, pastor, I gotta tell you something. When my son was born, he had on a pair of Air Jordans and a gold necklace around his neck. It was incredible. 
Never had that happen. Every single baby that I have ever known about or heard about was born naked with nothing, brought nothing into the world. In 31 years as a pastor, I have been to a lot of funerals. I've stood and preached at a lot of funerals. And never one time have I been at one of those funerals where somebody said, in in a eulogy, man, this guy was loaded and now we're all broke because he took it all with him. It's never happened. Why? Because every single person comes into this world with nothing. And when we leave, we leave it all here, which tells me this. From the moment that I am born until the moment that I die, everything that I get in between is just on loan from God. It's not mine. And so Paul asks this question. He says, what do you have that God hasn't already given you? It's a rhetorical question because the answer is nothing. There's nothing that I have that God hasn't given me. Years ago, I was pastoring a church in Texas and I had preached on, on this particular subject that everything we have is, is just a gift. It's on loan from God. And this man approached me after the message and I could tell by his demeanor, I could tell by the way he was walking towards me, this wasn't going to be a positive conversation. I mean, you, you've just had those before. Somebody's walking up to you, you know, this isn't gonna go well. So he approaches me and, and this, is, this is how he started the conversation, okay? This was the first sentence out of his mouth. I'm not exaggerating. The first thing he said to me is, I just want you to know I'm smarter than you. That was the first thing that he said. That's how we started his conversation. Now, again, I'm, I'm brand new in ministry. I, I'm really young. Uh, my, my first church to pastor, and, and I'm just, I want to say the right thing. I don't want to be smart aleck. Um, and uh, the guy was a college professor. And so in my brain, I'm thinking, you're probably right. You are smarter than me. Uh, but I, I, did, I just really didn't know what to say. And so I, I'm just kind of dumbfounded there for a second. And since I didn't say anything back, he just kept going. And this is what he said. I got my job and I got my house and I got my car and I got all of my stuff because I've got it up here. Everything I have, he said, is because of me. Again, I'm gonna, I, I, I wanna respond correctly and I don't wanna be smart elk and I don't wanna be mean back to the guy. And so I'm just kind of standing there thinking for a second. And then probably just through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, this is what I finally said. I said, where did your brain come from? And he said, what? I said, your brain, where where did your brain come from? And he didn't have an answer for me. I said, well, what about the air that you breathe? Every breath that you're taking, where where does that come from? And again, he didn't have anything to say. He was kind of on the dumbfounded like I was at the beginning. I said, let me tell you where your brain came from. Your brain came from God. And the air that you're breathing right now, it comes from God. So everything that you have and the brains that got it, it all came from God. You see, that's the real question. What do you have that God hasn't given you? And the answer is nothing. Your salvation, it's it's not yours, it's his. Your health, it's just on loan from him. Your money and your bank account, it's just on loan from God. Your children, they're on loan from God. Your job, it's just on loan from God. Very quickly, let me give you two implications from this truth. If I'm the manager and God's the owner, there's no reason for me to stress and worry. There's really not. 
if God is the owner and I'm the manager, then there's really no reason for me to stress and worry. I'll be honest with you. That's one of the things that I deal with personally in my life is I stress and I worry about things. And I'll sit and I'll worry and I'll try to figure things out in my head. We spend so much of our time worrying about our kids, our money, our retirement, our health, our job. Should I go on? But if it doesn't ultimately belong to me, then why am I spending so much time worrying about it? Dr. Charles Stanley, who was a longtime pastor of First Baptist Church Atlanta, is famous for saying this, obey God and leave the consequences to him. I love that. Just obey God and and leave all the consequences to him. What was he saying? I don't have to worry and I don't have to stress because ultimately it's not my stuff anyway. He's the owner, I'm the manager. God's the owner and I'm the manager. Then he can have it all or any of it whenever he wants to. God can have any of it or he can have all of it whenever he wants because he's the owner and I'm just the manager. Whenever we go out of town, whenever my wife and I go someplace and we travel, we'll typically ask somebody if they'll come and, and house sit at our house. And so when they come over ahead of time, I'll say, this is where everything is. This is the rooms that you can stay in. Here's our dogs. Please take care of them. Please feed them. Please pet them every once in a while. You can use our internet. You can watch our TV. You can park your car in the garage if you want to. Uh, if there's anything in the refrigerator that looks like it's edible, you can eat that. But you're, you're, you're welcome. Our place is yours. But imagine if we did that and, and we came home after a few days and I noticed the person's car was still in the garage. And so I go and I open up the front door and they're standing there and they said, you can't come in. What do you mean I can't come in? Well, you know, this is my place now. You can't park your car in the garage anymore because that's where I keep my car now. Oh, please, please don't pet the dogs. They're they're my dogs now. You can't sleep in that room because that's where I've been sleeping. And and please, I I changed the Wi-Fi password and uh, it's my place now. You know what I would say? You really misunderstood the situation. You see, this is my place and I was just letting you use it. I was letting you manage it for a little while, but I'm back now and it's my place. You say that would be crazy. It would be, but that's what we do with God. We say, God, all this stuff that you've, you've given me to manage, well, it's mine. It's mine now. And God says, don't get this whole thing twisted up. You're the manager, I'm the owner. Can I tell you, that's why so many people struggle with the idea of tithing. Because we have this idea that, well, this, this money is mine. I go to work, I earn this money, it's mine. And so why in the world would God ask for any of my money back? That's why people say, you know what, serve? Why would I give some of my time? Why would I show up early before a service and serve? Why would I serve other people and give some of my time? Well, it's, it's not, it's not your time. It's not your money, it's God's. When my son was real little, I took him, we were sitting at a, a fast food restaurant one time. And he was sitting there, he had a tray in front of him, he had a, some chicken nuggets and some French fries on the tray in front of him. And so I'm sitting there in front of him, I'm talking to him and I reach over to get some of his French fries to eat. And immediately he puts his arm around the French fries just like this and he said, no, ho, ho, these are my French fries. Now immediately as the dad, I had several thoughts. 
First of all, I'm the source of the French fries. All of those French fries came from me. Don't forget that just a second ago, I went up to the counter and I paid the lady some money. She put the French fries on the, uh, on the tray and brought it over to the table. I'm the source of the French fries, buddy. Secondly, if I want to, I can go back up to the counter and I can buy a truckload of French fries and I can dump them all on top of your little head if I want to. Not to mention, I'm the dad. And if I want to, I can just take all the French fries away and you won't have any more. I think sometimes that's how God feels towards us. We forget that he's the owner. and We're just the manager and, and, and we try to act like it's all our stuff. So Paul tells us that we're servants. He tells us that we're to be good stewards. And then verses nine through 13, he tells us that we're an example to the whole world. You and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, Paul says, you're an example to the whole world. Look what he says there in verse number nine. He said, we've become a spectacle to the entire world, to people and angels alike. Our dedication to Christ makes us look like fools, but you claim to be so wise in Christ where we but you're so powerful, you're honored, but you are ridiculed. This letter's written to a group of believers that can't seem to get along with each other. And Paul is saying this, hey, hey, people are watching you. You're claiming to be followers of Jesus, but there's people that are watching you and you're not acting like God's children. Can I tell you something, parents? Your children are watching you. There's somebody at work and, and they're watching you. There's somebody out on the golf course. Oh, they're watching you. There's somebody at school and they're watching you. There's somebody out there that's considering following Jesus Christ or they've decided not to be a follower of Jesus Christ because of your example. They've heard you say, I, I go to church, I'm a religious person, I'm a follower of Jesus. Is what they're seeing match up with what you're saying? Leadership expert John Maxwell said it this way, and I love it. He said, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. The way that you act speaks a whole lot louder than the things that you say. So here's the question I have for you. Does my behavior back up my beliefs? So what, does the way that I act, does it back up the things that I say that I believe? So Paul says we're servants of Christ. We're to be good stewards. He reminds us that we're an example to the world. And then he closes out verses 14 to 21 by saying we need to be becoming spiritually mature. It's our responsibility to grow. It's our responsibility to become mature. Look what he says there in verse 15. He said, for even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you have only one spiritual father. For I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you. So I urge you to imitate me. That's why I've sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He'll remind you of how I follow Christ Jesus, just as I teach in all the churches wherever I go. But look at verse number 20. He says, for the kingdom of God is, just, is not just a lot of talk. 
It's living by God's power. Paul says, you know what? You can have 10,000 other people out there teaching you, but I don't want you to forget where this came from. I don't want you to forget me. And I'm sending Timothy to remind you and to be a reminder of what you were taught. So Paul reminds them, he wraps this letter up with a couple important things. He says this, make sure you're only listening to what's true. Make sure that you're only listening to what is true. There's 10,000 other people out there. There's 10,000 voices out there. But Paul says, don't forget where this truth came from, where it originated from. Stay with what you know is true. Can I tell you this morning, as your pastor, I challenge you. Be careful what and be careful who you let influence your mind and influence your family. I'm gonna say it again. Be careful who and be careful what you let influence your mind and influence your family. Just because somebody has a TV show doesn't mean that it should be influencing your mind or your family. Just because somebody pastors a church or somebody wrote a book, when you hear things, you need to measure it up against God's word. Does what I'm hearing measure up to what God's word is? It's truth. So he says, make sure you only listen to what is truth. Then he says this, we need somebody to come alongside of us and help us as we grow. You can't do this by yourself. Paul said this, I'm sending Timothy to you. And Timothy's gonna come and he's gonna remind you what you've been taught. He's gonna remind you what truth is. And not only is he going to remind you, but he's going to walk alongside of you. He's gonna stay there with you to help you as you live this out. We all need somebody to come alongside of us and support us. It was April, 2002. Natalie Gilbert was 13 years old. And she won a contest to be able to sing the national anthem at the Portland Trailblazers NBA playoff game. She was so excited. She stood there in front of 20,000 fans, countless numbers more that were watching on television. As Natalie stood there to begin and she sang the national anthem, she forgot the words. 13 years old, national television, 20,000 people watching, she forgot the words. At the time, Mo Cheeks was the coach of the Portland Trailblazers and he was watching this happen. He left where he was on the bench and he walked over next to the frightened 13-year-old girl. And he put his arm around her. And the two of them together got back on track and they sang the national anthem together. If you've never seen the video, I challenge you to go see it. It's just a sweet moment. Every time I have seen that video or I've, I've heard that story repeated, it reminds me that every single one of us needs somebody like that to come alongside of us. Every single one of us in our spiritual life, we need somebody to stand alongside of us. Because plenty of times, we forget the words, don't we? We forget the truth. We forget where we're supposed to be and we get off course and we need somebody to come and put their arm around us and help us stay on track. So I wanna do this. I wanna close by asking you four questions and they're questions that God asked me as I was preparing this message. And God 
worked in me as I was working on this. And so now I wanna share with you the questions that God asked me. The first one is this, do you joyfully carry the title of servant of Christ? Or do you always wanna have it your way? It's one thing to say Jesus is the master. It's a whole other thing to say, I joyfully carry the title servant of Jesus Christ. Are you a good steward of what God's given you? Do you understand it all belongs to him? He's the owner. I'm just the manager. Does your behavior back up your beliefs? It's one thing to say it. It's one thing to sit in church and sing the songs. It's a whole other thing to go out and live it. Then finally, are you growing? Do you have somebody that comes alongside of you? Are you coming along somebody else? Are you in a small group? Do you have a group of people that help hold you accountable? All things that God taught me as I studied this passage of scripture and I challenge you, do an examination, ask yourself where I need to be, my relationship with the Lord, especially what we've learned this morning. I'm gonna invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We're gonna sing one final song this morning. It's our opportunity to respond back to God as he's spoken to us. Maybe through one of these questions, you would say, you know what, Randy, there there are some things I need to take care of. Maybe some things that God's spoken to me about. This is the time, this is the opportunity to do that. As we sing this last song, there'll be folks standing down front that we call encouragers. There'll be people people down here that they're praying. If you'd like someone to pray with you or pray over you specifically, you can step out of your seat, come to one of them. They'd be more than happy to pray for you. But I'm gonna pray right now. And then when I do, we're gonna stand and sing this final song. Father in heaven, thank you for this passage of scripture. How written so many years ago applies to us today. God, I pray that each one of us would see ourselves as servants of Jesus Christ. Stewards of everything he's given us. Help us to to live in such a way that we're backing up our beliefs with our behavior. I pray that we're growing. I pray that we've got somebody coming alongside of us and we're coming alongside of somebody else. As we grow to become what you've called us to be. Thank you for speaking to our hearts. Thank you for the incredible time of worship that we've had already today. Help us now as we respond to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand up with me, if you will. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.